The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Catherine Hauser was beginning her new life following separating from her husband. She had a new home in Albuquerque and was excelling in her career. It all came to a screeching halt when she was found murdered. Friends, family, and investigators immediately thought it was her estranged husband. But would they be able to uncover enough evidence to support that theory? I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. This week, we have an audio edition of our original series, Someone They Knew, with Tamron Hall, which examines crimes committed by those closest to the victim. This episode is entitled Murderous Match. Have a listen. This is the Court TV Podcast. The autopsy report showed that she had been struck at least five times in the head with a blunt object. Fairly quickly, they looked toward the soon-to-be ex-spouse. And in this case, that's Hugh. The accounts of Hubert Hauser looks like he was an abusive husband. Police may have zeroed in on Hauser since he and his wife have been separated since Thanksgiving. Theirs was a very violent and emotional marriage. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that seems to be pointing one direction or the other. Investigators cannot get tunnel vision. All of a sudden, the DNA evidence turns up, and we find out that now we have something of a confession. Catherine Hauser was starting a new life. She had a successful career, bought a shiny new sports car, and moved into a home in the popular Knob Hill neighborhood of Albuquerque. Although she'd been married a few times, she was looking forward to what the future held. Unfortunately, in the chilly morning hours of January 19, 2005, someone came into Catherine's home and cut that future short. Now, Albuquerque police detectives are left to determine whether it was someone she knew. Albuquerque is very unique, somewhat a large city, but the state as a whole isn't very populated. So everybody knows everybody and or has some type of connection to others. Catherine Hauser had moved to the Knob Hill area of Albuquerque, which is fairly close to the University of New Mexico. Uh, it has uh, older houses, smaller houses. Uh, there's a lot of uh, rentals, uh, students, uh, employees of the university that live in that area. Catherine Hauser was a very independent woman, fun-loving. She liked uh, fine things. She wasn't snobby about it, but she liked, um, you know, the best of things. She drove a BMW. She, you know, had her hair done nicely, but she was also fun, and she was also very well-liked. Catherine Hauser had recently separated from her husband in an attempt to be kind of more independent then, had got a house quite a ways away and was, uh, by all accounts, just trying to, to move on. 
But that's not the entire story about, about Catherine. Was it? She was actually coming out of the relationship, you know, d doing well in, in her career. She seemed to be forging a new path for herself, and she really seemed to actually be able to extricate herself from this very damaging relationship. She was a religious person, and she did participate a lot at her church. And, you know, I, there were, you, it would be very hard to find anyone that could say something bad about her. Hubert Hauser, uh, once he and his wife had separated, uh, he stayed living in the house in Northwest Albuquerque. And he worked at a, a Christian radio station Hugh Hauser was also a very religious man. He referred to himself as a square-headed German, which I remember thinking was an interesting way to describe oneself. What an interesting combination Catherine and Hugh must have made because she seemed to me a little more free-spirited or a little more independent, and, and it seemed like she would not take very well to the kinds of rigid belief system that Hugh had. It was a new day, and it was a good day. It was a day where presumably she was on her way to a new life. We don't know what transpired exactly in the last moments of her life. On the morning of January 19, 2005, we got a call that um, a man walking down the street had heard uh, terrible screams from a female. Catherine Hauser was getting ready to go to work. Uh, she had gotten dressed. Uh, she had gathered some of her belongings. It appears Catherine was getting ready to walk out the door. She's got her purse, her keys. She was locking her door when someone came from behind and hit her in the head with a brick. She was uh, knocked unconscious and dragged back into the foyer in her house uh, where she was raped and then left for dead. A neighbor had heard screams coming from the house and had gone home to call 911 to report that. The officers told us that when they arrived, they checked and the door was locked. They couldn't get anybody to answer the door, but they were able to get in because a key had been left somewhere on the porch. They found um, Catherine Hauser pretty much in a pool of blood. She had been beaten severely with some something and sexually assaulted. She was uh, transported to the hospital and then uh, subsequently died at the hospital. Mr. Hauser became a person of interest, and we learned that there was a history of problems in the marriage. Police may have zeroed in on Hauser since he and his wife had been separated since Thanksgiving. Family members had painted a pretty ugly picture of the relationship. On the morning of January 19, 2005, 52-year-old Katherine Hauser 
was viciously raped and beaten. Although doctors did what they could to save her life, she ultimately succumbed to her injuries. While crime scene investigators scour her home for clues as to the identity of her killer, detectives narrow down their list of suspects. Who would have wanted Catherine dead and why? The area was uh, upscale, not the best neighborhood, but certainly not a neighborhood that you would expect to have this type of a crime occur. And I knew nothing about Catherine Hauser before this uh, murder occurred. The name came uh, to everybody's attention. I believe it was the first homicide of the year. The autopsy report showed that she had been struck at least five times in the head with a blunt object. She also had bruising on her inner thighs, consistent with somebody holding her legs down. Catherine also had lacerations in her genitalia, consistent with rape. Fairly quickly, as is the case of many of these uh, murders, they look toward the um, soon-to-be ex-spouse. And in this case, that's Hugh. The accounts of Hubert Hauser that come out of the case, I mean, they're, they're none too flattering, to, to put it obviously. Looking at it from our perspective, it looks like he was, was, uh, he was an abusive husband. And the family and friends of Catherine Hauser, they believe they saw the relationship for what it was, that they saw Hubert Hauser for who he was, and that uh, he was actually a, a dangerous individual. He was someone that she, she shouldn't be with, and they wanted to pull her out of that relationship. Police may have zeroed in on Hauser since he and his wife had been separated since Thanksgiving, but he says they were in the process of reconciling. Whether the relationship between Catherine and Hugh was over depends on which one of them you would have asked. The family of Catherine say she was still dead set on getting a divorce, uh, ending the relationship completely, getting out of the marriage fully. You would think that somebody who would attack Catherine, strike her multiple times in the head, and then continue to rape her, that it would have a personal connection. Mr. Hauser became a person of interest, and there was a lot of information that was coming out from detectives. And we learned that there was a history of problems in the marriage. So with all homicide cases, most of the time, the offender is known to the victim. And that is even much more true with female homicide victims. It is almost always somebody that they know. So in this case, early on, uh, the, the police wanted to investigate and determine uh, whether Hubert Hauser was involved in this. Family members had uh, painted a pretty ugly picture of the, the relationship, and family members said, you know, she kept a diary, and so you can find out what was going on in her life, and she will tell you in her own words. And so those diaries were uh, part of search warrants that were executed to try to get those into our custody. The homicide detectives immediately went to interview Mr. Hauser. Some of the first things the police did was to go to Hubert Hauser's employment to make contact with him, uh, in part to notify him of what had happened, but also to determine where he had been and if, if it was possible that he was the offender in this case. There were people that were interviewed at Mr. Hauser's work uh, who indicated the approximate time that they remembered seeing him come in. 
uh, but they also uh, gave some some statements that uh, re at least raised an issue in terms of his demeanor. He shows up real nervous, kind of jittery, to the point where the receptionist asked if he was okay. And he said no. And she said, you know, will it be okay? And he responds, well, it will be. That strikes her as odd. I think it would strike anyone as odd that he's acting like that. And he actually tells somebody, the police are coming for me. Mind you, nobody knows what is going on. Nobody has any clue that Catherine Hauser, across town, is, has been found almost dead. They went to interview Hubert. They did learn about their pending divorce. What he relayed was that the marriage had had problems, but that that was being worked out and that they were actually close to getting back together. Then it turned out there had been a divorce filed uh, just a couple of days before Katherine Hauser was raped and murdered. From what we could tell, the only items we believe were stolen was Katherine's cell phone and her purse. Mr. Hauser had said that he had gotten a phone call from Katherine Hauser right about the time that she was killed. So that became obviously something that we would need to look into further. We executed a search warrant. They were able to determine that his cell phone was able to be pinged from a cell tower near his residence. There were things that were not matching up with what Mr. Hauser was saying. And then there were, there were some things that did seem to match up. He was saying that the, he could not be the person that had killed and raped his wife because he was with his mother at that time. That actually put up a flag because he mentioned <clears throat> rape at the time that that information had not been shared with him. We were unable to locate any evidence that would suggest Hubert was at the scene. We did not locate clothing. We did not locate DNA evidence. There was no blood. We just did not locate anything that um, would lead us to believe he had killed her. He was very open and he, he was very good about professing his innocence. My thought was to help the police in any way that I can. I just remember finding it unusual that he was so willing to speak to us. So he really became, in everyone's mind, I think, the prime suspect. But there was no arrest. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that seems to be pointing one direction or the other. In this case, DNA played a critical role. We were notified that there was a match. As detectives from the Albuquerque Police Department continue to look into Hubert Hauser for his possible involvement in the death of his estranged wife, Catherine, crime scene investigators inspect every inch of her home looking for physical evidence that will connect a killer to the crime. I received a notification that we had a homicide call out. We started looking at the scene from the outside. We noticed that there were several shoe prints. They began right at the edge of the driveway by the sidewalk, and they traveled around the house. 
For me personally, it appeared from the very beginning that it was a crime of opportunity. This is an example of where you don't know exactly what you're looking for. You just need to capture any possible bit of evidence that's going to help unravel what happened. What the evidence showed is that most likely somebody walked onto the property. They walked around the house. They tried to enter the house through some of the windows and were not successful. They moved to the front of the house near the courtyard and waited for Catherine to leave the house. In that courtyard, we located the back of an earring. There was a brick that had blood on it. There was also blood on the sidewalk and the entryway to the house. But when you went into the house, you had to step up. It was elevated, and the blood transfer pattern seemed to go in an upward motion consistent to the blood being moved upwards. Investigators have to not get tunnel vision. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that seems to be pointing one direction or the other. They have to keep um, processing evidence and talking to people and uh, not focus on one person of interest or one direction or the other. Because to get to the correct end of the story, you have to be open to all avenues that are gonna lead you there. When there's an autopsy performed and they collect fingernail clippings, they collect swabs from the genitalia, from her breasts, those are put into our CODIS database. What goes into CODA database is any DNA that's collected from a crime, but also when somebody is convicted of a felony crime, their DNA is entered into the database. We were notified that there was a match to the DNA that was left on Catherine's body. In this case, DNA played a critical role. In the course of this investigation, all of a sudden, the DNA evidence turns up, and we find out that, well, now we have somebody who's not the husband whose DNA shows up on the scene. Prior to him coming up as a positive match under the uh, DNA CODIS system, I don't think anybody in Albuquerque had heard the name Philip Busey. So Philip Busey had, had grown up out of state. Uh, his more recent adulthood had been spent in Missouri, uh, where he had a somewhat lengthy criminal history, a lot of property-type uh, crimes. He had been in the Missouri Department of Corrections and then had apparently, after he had been paroled, resettled in Albuquerque, uh, but was homeless. He was uh, living on the streets in the general area of Knob Hill. Once we identified Philip Busey as a suspect, the homicide detectives were able to obtain an arrest warrant. They were able to locate him kind of in a grate where unsheltered individuals tend to stay behind one of our hospitals in Albuquerque. There was a speck of blood that was on um, Philip Busey's pants whenever he was arrested, uh, almost a month after the murder occurred. When we processed that blood, it did match Catherine's DNA. We were very confident that we caught Catherine's murder. Suddenly, it seemed out of the blue, 
here's the name Philip Busey being charged. And, and we all thought, well, well who's that? What, is, what does he possibly have to do with this? There wasn't really anything uh, all that violent with Mr. Busey's criminal history, uh, a lot of drugs and theft to support drug use. Uh, but there was not uh, indications in his criminal history of anything along the lines of uh, particularly violent crime. Philip Busey has a long, long rap sheet of burglaries. Seemed like his thing was breaking into houses and stealing what he could. Doesn't appear that he ever worked anywhere, that this was his job, was breaking and entering. It's very likely that Busey saw her through a window and determined that it looked like she was getting ready to leave. It was that time of day when people normally go to work and waited for her by the front door. The science that goes on in forensic evaluation doesn't care about all of the detail. DNA analysis, for example, it, they don't need to know names. In fact, that's part of it. The DNA is entered into the national database with a number. So what they cared about was what results did they get from the tests that they were running that had scientific efficacy. In this case, as that evidence got developed and the DNA got developed and the, the police followed that ultimately to Mr. Busey, as we then go in front of a jury later on to try to prove the case, that then, in my opinion, makes it much more likely that the jury will convict the actual killer. Catherine Hauser is getting ready to leave the house. To her, it's just gonna be another day, but unbeknownst to her, this will be her last day. The defense tried to plant reasonable doubt by showing, you know, don't look at Philip Busey, look at Hugh Hauser. He's the guy that Catherine feared. In a rather startling turn of events, authorities arrest a 42-year-old homeless man by the name of Philip Busey for the rape and murder of Catherine Hauser. Although detectives from the Albuquerque Police Department have zeroed in on Catherine's estranged husband, Hubert, as the prime suspect in the case, crime scene investigators are able to link Busey to the crime from DNA evidence. January 19th, 2005. About 7.15, Catherine Hauser is getting ready to leave the house. She's gotten up. It's uh, January, it's still a little dark outside. Uh, she's gotten dressed, she's gotten her stuff together, and she's headed out the front door. To her, it's just gonna be another day. Uh, but unbeknownst to her, this will be her last day. Philip Busey, the evidence will show, was at her house. And he's checking through the windows, and he's waiting and he's looking for his opportunity. Philip Busey always struck me as a very quiet person. I couldn't tell you if I've ever heard him say a word. He was one of those defendants that sat at his defense table, looked straight ahead and never showed any reaction, never showed any sort of emotion. Almost looked like he didn't know why he was there. You know, just, I'm here, but I don't know why. As Ms. Hauser walks out of her front door, turns to lock the front door, again, 
and again and again. Mr. Busey clobbers her on the head no less than five times. She's dragged in. The defendant takes off her jeans and he vaginally and he anally rapes her while she's dying in a pool of her blood. Our theory, of course, was that uh, Mr. Busey had both sexually assaulted and murdered Miss Hauser. So obviously, there's, there was some indications that maybe this was a property crime that he was going to commit. But obviously, it then something in his mind turned this to a personal sexual attack on Miss Hauser. On the very day that Miss Hauser died, uh, some other things were happening. She was uh, scheduled that very day to finish moving out of a house that she had shared with her husband, Hubert Hauser, who she was still married to. She was gonna move the rest of her belongings out of that house that very day because she, was, she had separated from Mr. Hauser just before Thanksgiving of 2004. The defense decided that they would put the husband on trial because the DNA evidence obviously has tremendous sway with, with the jury. By all accounts, uh, and in my opinion, and based on the evidence, uh, Hubert Hauser was completely uninvolved, completely innocent in the case. Three years before her death, Catherine Hauser met Hubert Hauser. Mr. Hauser began abusing Mrs. Hauser shortly after their wedding. This violence continued to escalate, and Catherine would move out only to return and be abused again. Theirs was a very violent and emotional marriage. She wrote about her fear of her husband in journals that the police took into evidence and that you will get to read. He also threatened to kill her, and she put that in those materials, and you'll get to see those. After Mr. Mrs. Hauser's death, even though she and Mr. Hauser were separated, he inherited everything she had, and uh, it wasn't insubstantial, and he also got insurance money from her death. One of the things I thought was very smart about the defense was that they tried to plant reasonable doubt in the jurors' minds by showing, you know, don't look at Philip Busey, look at Hugh Hauser. He's, he's the guy that is more violent. He's the guy that Catherine feared. Why don't you have a seat there, pull yourself up to the microphone and say your name and spell your last name if you would. My name is Lee Pfeiffer. It's P-E-I-F-E-R. All right, so 710-712 in the morning. Yes, sir. Of January 19, 2005. Yes, sir. All right, what, uh, what did you see or hear that uh, seemed out of place? Well, as I, was, as I was walking up Wellesley past the house, um, I heard a woman scream or cry out four times. That's what I heard. Could you tell from where it was coming? Yes, I could tell it was coming from inside that house. The house being this picture here? Yes, sir. Then what did you do? Then I went to my office and I called the police. So in this case, although there were uh, other witnesses that we called, including a, a neighbor that had, had heard the incident happening and, and called police, uh, nobody would have ever been able to identify Philip Busey as the offender in this case, but for the DNA evidence. Do you solemnly swear that the testimony about to get the court here this afternoon will be the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth under penalty of law? Yeah. All right, thank you. Do you recall uh, having to go to an address on campus, Boulevard? Yes, ma'am. That morning? 
what was your next step in assisting her? Well, I wanted to scoop and run with her, uh -huh. uh, but we needed to secure the airway and any life threats. So once we got the tube in place, uh, we rolled her over to, to check her back and, and the back of her head to see what was going on, where all the blood was, was coming from. And, and what did you find when you rolled her over? Um, the back of her head, it was uh, all kind of just, I don't want to use it, it mushed up. Uh, okay. There wasn't uh, a lot of bone structure there. It was just a lot of uh, bright red blood, uh, brain matter, and bone chips. Did you perform an autopsy on an individual, a woman identified as 52-year-old Catherine Hauser yes. on January 20th, 2005? Yes. Did you form, and are you able to testify today, uh, an opinion as to the cause and manner of death? Yes. And what are those? Blunt force injuries to the head is the cause, manner of death is homicide. Hugh Hauser testified, and I thought his testimony was very incriminating. She said he was cussing, spitting at her, and I said, well, I'm just afraid it's going to escalate until, she said, what, until he kills me? And I said, yeah. Although Philip Busey had been arrested and charged for the murder of Katherine Hauser, many in Albuquerque had a hard time believing that her estranged husband, Hubert, was not involved in her death. Defense attorney Lee Hood will use that skepticism in the state's case, as well as the unflattering details of Hauser's marriage against him. When did Kathy first start talking to you about some problems that she was having in her marriage? Um, shortly after they were married, they were married in November, they came to the Rose Bowl Parade, which was on January 1st, um, less than two months. And she looked pretty stressed out when they came to our house, and she pulled me aside and said, there's trouble in paradise. Um, he's, already, uh, he's already thrown my clothes out in the front yard when he got mad at me and um, told me never to come back. And I was just shocked to hear that because they'd only been married a couple months. So that was kind of the first clue. After uh, Catherine Hauser was murdered, there's no question that the family and friends very quickly drew the conclusion that uh, her husband had done it. Hugh Hauser testified, and I have to say that I thought his testimony was very incriminating. And then you said, until right. you are ready to be reconciled, then and only then will we start seeing each other again. After that, we will move forward under my guidance as the spiritual leader of the family. Is that correct? That's very correct. And in that email, you also said, you must submit to me as the spiritual leader of the family. That's, That's correct. correct. And you also said, you have also denied me of your body, which is not scriptural. That's correct. So according to the Bible, she wasn't submitting sex to you. Is that right? That is inaccurate in that, in that context. You believe that she had to submit sexually to you we according to the Bible. We believe that when we're married, you? when we're married, that we are one flesh. And she, she wasn't agreeing to do that. That's correct, on occasion. And uh, yes or no, you did admit to the police, though, didn't you, that uh, you did backhand Catherine? Yes, I did, and I will. You slapped. Yes, and I, the when that happened, I immediately went to my pastor and my boss at work and was held accountable for that. He did not do himself any favors. 
Um, he came across as a very stringent, rigid, um, bossy kind of guy that was angry that his wife was leaving him. She didn't even want him to know where she where she lived after she had moved. I mean, that's how much she feared him. Um, we were just talking about, uh, you know, how it could escalate. You know, she said he was you know, cussing, spitting at her. And I said, well, I'm just afraid it's going to escalate until... And I just sort of paused and she said, what, until he kills me? And I said, yeah. When Mr. Hauser showed up to work, he was acting a little off and, and you know, it was a little strange. There was at least some indication of, the, of his physical appearance, the clothing, the hair, uh, that may have been unusual um, from how he normally appeared. Did you see him when he came in? Yes. And uh, did you notice anything unusual about him when he came to work that morning? He wasn't as happy, but he looked normal. Okay. Did, like did you does. ask him anything? Yes. Okay. What did you ask him? Uh, if he was doing okay. And um, what, what did he say? He said he would be later. Police do show up and they interview him. One thing that sticks out is that he told one of the detectives, I did not rape and kill my wife. But no detective had said anything about her being raped. So where did that come from? You put in this sworn affidavit that you, it should be noted that I never told Hubert Hauser that his wife had been raped, only that she had been beaten. Is that correct? Yes. In the minds of the police, this was a confession of sorts because if they didn't tell him that she got raped and he's saying he didn't rape her, I mean, how did he know? And you also confronted Mr. Hauser about this during his interview, is that right? We talked about that for a little bit, and he tried to clear it up, saying he'd overheard it from somebody around. There were a lot of officers in our building that day, and he said he overheard it from one of the assisting officers or detectives. I really felt the defense made really good points by showing, look at this guy. This is the guy who did it. He's got all the motive in the world. After your wife's death, you got some money, is that right? You got about $100,000 in insurance money. It was less money. than, no. Slightly 90, less than $100,000. It was 90000 to be accurate. All right, in insurance money. Yes, ma'am. And you got her 401k accounts. Yes, ma'am. You got the land in Texas, is that right? Yes, I did, and I sold it because that was her dream, and by Texas law, that those proceeds had to be uh, split with the children, which I did amicably. All right. You sued her children after she died, didn't you? Yes, I did sue them. Yes. Philip Busey was not on the radar at all during the initial investigation. The only point where he became a suspect and the prime suspect was with the return of DNA evidence that had been recovered from Catherine Hauser's body at autopsy. Let's start with that breast swab, Q5. Are you able to exclude Hubert Hauser from that? I did exclude him from the rest swab. What about the fingernail swab? Yes, I excluded. I was able to exclude Hubert Hauser from either of those fractions of that, that stain from the fingernail swabs. There were some issues with the samples taken because there wasn't very much DNA. In fact, there was so little DNA that they couldn't even tell for sure whether she had been raped by a male. It was missing the Y chromosome. 
have you re reviewed the uh, lab notes of Ms. Galbraith in this case? Yes. And uh, the breast swab, for example, she said she found six sperm on the slide. Is that correct? Um, it's, it's an incredibly small amount of volume. In one case, I think in terms of the um, breast swab, it's about um, one two hundred and seventieth of a drop is what that would equate to. And that's certainly possible to um, be deposited through transfer as opposed to, you know, like a direct ejaculate. They had um, footprints in the dirt next to the front door. Those were key. The footprints matched to some shoes that Busey was wearing. Again, this particular photograph, when comparing it with um, my standards that I created, the shape, the direction that the uh, design was flowing and everything, I could determine that it was consistent with the right shoe. Police had also gone, of course, to Hugh Hauser's house and looked at all his shoes, and none of them were a match. Now, as to as to Hubert Hauser, your initial initial suspect, uh, did everything pan out that he told you? Yes, we could never disprove his statement. And did any uh, actual evidence ever end up pointing to him, as far as forensic evidence, uh, anything of that nature? No. I'm going to now ask you to retire to the jury room to begin your deliberations. I still have enough questions uh, based on experience of what juries can do to be worried that, uh, that they might acquit. Although many troubling details emerged during the course of the trial about the type of husband Hubert was, the physical evidence in the case points directly at Philip Busey as the killer. It will be up to defense counsel Lee Hood to downplay that evidence as she fights to keep her client out of prison. You know, as I stand here right now, I'm really afraid. I'm afraid because I'm afraid I won't make the kind of closing argument that Philip deserves. I'm afraid I won't measure up. I'm afraid I'm not a good enough lawyer. The defense in the case maintained that it was always Hubert Hauser uh, that was the, the actual offender. Um, and that was part of the main crux of the defense case was challenging just the general sufficiency of the state's evidence that we could, didn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And on the very day that Mrs. Hauser was going to move out of the house that she had lived in, with Hubert Hauser, she was killed. Not a coincidence. And what did Hubert Hauser stand to gain? We know there's a motive for every murder. What was the motive here? Hubert needed money, and his wife made a lot more money than he did. If she continued on her path to peace over abuse, he wasn't going to have that income anymore. In law, there's a presumption of innocence, OK, for somebody charged with a crime. When a spouse ends up dead under, you know, unknown circumstances in a turbulent relationship, there is a presumption that the, the surviving spouse is, is uh, responsible for the, for the murder. That's where people go first. That's where confirmation bias kicks in. You know, the defense really shouldn't worry about whether or not they can be a good lawyer for Mr. Busey. No lawyer can get him off of this. 
This, this, the evidence in this case is overwhelming. Philip Busey is, is guilty of what he's charged with. Part of me is still concerned about the fact that the husband is kind of coming off as being a little suspicious. And uh, the defense is really hammering that, uh, that he could be the, the killer in all this. This case comes down to the evidence, not speculation, not conjecture. It's the hard evidence. You have the defendant's DNA evidence on the victim. You have the victim's DNA evidence on the defendant's clothing when he's arrested. And conversely, you do not have Hubert Hauser's DNA anywhere at the crime scene. We are here to decide the evidence. We are here to decide the guilt of Philip Busey. The fact that the police thoroughly investigated Hubert Hauser actually works to our benefit because we can then show, hey, this was not a biased investigation. In fact, they looked at somebody else before the defendant in the case. And the jury understands why they would look at a husband. But because the police did such a good job in investigating the husband, we were fully satisfied that he was completely innocent in that. Again, this case, just the power of DNA. It excluded one person, an initial suspect in many people's eyes. And then it proved who really did that. Now, the power of justice. Find defendant guilty of all counts against him. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Wood. I'm going to now ask you to retire to the jury room to begin your deliberations. So as the jury's deliberating, I'm still concerned that uh, they didn't hear some of the key DNA evidence that had been suppressed by the judge. I still have enough questions uh, based on experience of what juries can do to be worried that, uh, that they might acquit. Madam Fortress, it appears that you've reached a verdict. Is that correct? Yes, Your Honor, we have. All right. Would you have the forms to unveil? Let me have the defendant rise with counsel. Uh, verdict first. It's first. We find the defendant guilty of felony murder, which is first-degree murder, criminal sexual penetration, vaginal resulting in great bodily injury. What are they doing? They're done. What are they doing? We're not done reading the verdict. Please, Thank Judge. You. We have the involved All jury. Right. Hang on. We find the defendant guilty of felony murder, which is first-degree murder, criminal sexual penetration, anal, resulting in great body harm is charged in the alternative to count one. Philip Busey was found guilty uh, of the murder. I believe ultimately he was found guilty of uh, rape, tampering with evidence. Third verdict, we find the defendant guilty of felony murder, which is first-degree murder, kidnapping is charged in alternative to count one. Madam four persons, that verdict of the jury? Yes, it is, I remember looking over at him, and it, it seemed to me that, that Lee Hood, his defense attorney, was more upset than he was. I imagine he had been convicted and sent to jail so many times that to him, this was just another, oh, back to jail again I go, this time prison, um, and that Lee was more upset for him than he was. I do believe that justice was served in this case, uh, and it's a great example of, of how the judicial system does its job to allow somebody that's accused of a crime to, to defend themselves and to question. The whole investigation was put on trial, not just Mr. Busey. Is justice done today? 
No, it wasn't. We're disappointed. There'll be a vigorous appeal. When the judge ultimately did the sentencing, Mr. Busey will have to, to be in prison for at least 30 years before he's even eligible for parole. And then he would, even at that point, he would then start serving the other sentences on the sexual assault and the aggravated burglary. Police officers compartmentalize a lot in order to, to stay healthy. Over the years, you would get exposed to a lot of things that you can't unsee and you can't completely forget. Even years later, obviously, it, it gets to me. Philip Busey was given a life sentence for the rape and murder of Katherine Hauser. He's currently serving out his sentence at the Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. There you have it, another deep dive into a truly fascinating case. If you want to see more of our original series, they are available to stream for free on the Court TV website. Just check the show notes for a link. And to keep up with the biggest current true crime stories, you can see me every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern on my show, Closing Arguments. Thank you so much for downloading. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.